Hi, I'm Lewis, and welcome to Searching for It. If you've listened to this podcast before, you might have noticed that we haven't really spoken about many modern-day philosophers. In fact, I think Peter Singer is just about the only active philosopher that we've done a whole episode on. This wasn't by choice, but maybe it's not just a coincidence either. The philosopher we'll be looking at today, Susan Wolfe, who's actually still teaching herself at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, she points out that there really aren't too many philosophers around anymore who are still talking about the meaning of life. Either side of the turn of the 20th century, there were so many great thinkers working in this area. You had Kierkegaard, Schopenhauer, Nietzsche beforehand, and then you had Sartre and Camus coming afterwards, and now all of a sudden it seems to have stopped. But Susan Wolfe suggests there might be a good reason for that. Well, actually, she gives two reasons why philosophers don't really talk about the meaning of life anymore. First of all, Wolfe points out that when we're talking about the meaning of life, it's not always very clear what exactly it is that we're talking about. It's not clear what it would even mean for there to be a meaning of life. For those of you who have listened to this podcast before, maybe Wolfe's criticism might resonate a bit here. I certainly know that when I try to describe exactly what it is that searching for it is all about, I say something like, we're looking for something that gives life meaning or purpose, but it's never really clear what the difference is between meaning and purpose, and what exactly it would look like in the first place. What would it mean for life to have meaning or purpose? So Wolf begins the book that we'll be talking about today. The book's called Meaning in Life and Why It Matters, by trying to give a bit of clarity to this question. What would it mean for life to have meaning? Well, Wolf thinks that the meaning of life is often framed in terms of life having a purpose. So what we mean by the meaning of life is for there to be something that directs our lives towards some particular end, something that gives us a reason to be alive and a reason to continue living. I think Wolf puts it best when she says that if there were a meaning of life, our lives wouldn't just have causes, but they'd also have reasons. We could explain why we're here, not just by appealing to the natural process of evolution that caused us to be alive, but by pointing out an actual reason and explanation as to why we're here. But this leads us on to the second reason why nobody really talks about the meaning of life anymore. When we understand the meaning of life in this way, in terms of there being a purpose to our lives, to a lot of people, the answer might seem pretty clear, there is no meaning of life. For Wolf, unless we adopt a belief in God, which is a separate question entirely, it's difficult to imagine how our lives could ever come to have meaning. You can trace your origin back through the evolutionary timeline and all the way back to the Big Bang. You can identify what caused you to be alive, but you're not giving the reason for you to be alive. You're not explaining why you live. You're never going to find a reason or a purpose to live without a God to confer that meaning. At this stage, you might think that Wolf is giving a pretty damning account of a lot of what this podcast is all about. According to Wolf, people who talk about the meaning of life are super vague, and whenever they talk in a sufficiently precise way, it becomes clear that there is no meaning of life, or at least without a God to confer that meaning. Well, not quite. See, Wolf didn't set out to write a book called Meaning in Life and Why It Matters, just so she could talk about how there is no meaning of life and why it really doesn't matter. In fact, Wolf has her own take on the debate, and she has her own thoughts on how, 
in at least some sense, life can have meaning. So what Wolf does is she distinguishes between two different concepts that we often treat as being the same. Wolf distinguishes between the meaning of life and living a meaningful life. See, some of the philosophers we've looked at so far, particularly Camus and Nagel, they think about the meaning of life, they see that there is no meaning of life, and they build their arguments upon what we should do about this. Nagel, for example, says it doesn't really matter, we should just look at this with a sense of irony, chuckle and move on, whereas Camus gets a little more hysterical about the idea and prescribes rebellion in the face of meaninglessness. But for Wolf, the meaning of life isn't what matters in the first place, it's not what should be on the agenda. As we've seen, without a belief in God, our lives won't have a purpose, there's no reason why we're here, there's no specific goal to direct our lives towards. But whether our lives have this overarching meaning is neither here nor there, if we can still live lives that are meaningful. So what Wolf is largely trying to do in her book is explain what it is to live a meaningful life, and how we can do so, even if there is no meaning of life. The difficulty, though, is that just like the notion of the meaning of life, the notion of meaningfulness is also a little bit unclear. It's not very well defined. It's not something that philosophers often talk about. So just as she did with the meaning of life, Wolf takes this concept, the concept of living a meaningful life, and Wolf tries to figure out exactly what it means. So let's stop for a moment, let's think about what it means to live a meaningful life. And I'm guessing there might be a few different thoughts that come to mind. You might think that spending time with loved ones makes your life feel meaningful. You might think that bringing children into the world and raising them is a pretty strong source of meaning. Maybe you're a talented painter or writer and you think that creating new works of art is a meaningful thing to do. Or maybe you think that travelling the world and experiencing new cultures is the most meaningful way of spending your life. All of these kinds of thoughts feel like they're along the right lines, but what's the common factor between them? What's the criteria that determines whether one life is meaningful and another is meaningless? Wolf takes these kinds of thoughts about meaningfulness. She looks at the commonalities between them, and she picks out two different features that people often associate with meaningfulness. And for Wolf, both of these features have something interesting to say about what it is to live a meaningful life. So to start with the first of these features, Wolf thinks that people often talk as if living a meaningful life is to live a life in which you feel fulfilled. And by feeling fulfilled, I'm not talking about living a fun, adrenaline-packed life full of pleasures and full of excitement, although that might be part of it. By fulfilment, Wolf's really getting at the idea of an enduring sense of happiness or, or of satisfaction that you might feel in your life. And these two things can come apart, the hedonistic pleasures don't always run hand in hand with a sense of fulfilment. You know, you could imagine someone having an affair, they might have fun in the moment, but there's no way they'll be getting any lasting sense of fulfilment from the affair. And it can work the other way around too. Training all year to run a marathon might not be a particularly pleasurable experience, but I can only imagine that the sense of satisfaction you'd get from doing so would be long-lasting. It'd give you that enduring sense of happiness that makes you feel fulfilled. So this is what Wolf thinks a lot of people are referring to when they talk about meaningfulness in their lives. They're talking about a life that fulfills them. Now, Wolf thinks that these sorts of people are onto something. Fulfillment definitely seems to be a part of meaningfulness. To see why, imagine a life that's not at all fulfilling. 
maybe the life of the serial adulterer, or maybe the life of a basement dweller who spends their days playing video games. On a day-to-day -day level, both of these people might enjoy their lives, maybe they enjoy the thrill of seducing a new partner, or maybe they just love video games. But without the kind of fulfilment that Wolf's talking about, there's something missing. A life without an enduring sense of happiness would seem empty, colourless, and exactly the kind of thing that you might describe as meaningless. But equally, Wolf thinks that those people who try to ground meaningfulness in the feeling of fulfilment are also missing something here. To see why, let's take two different people, both who live lives that feel meaningful and that fulfil them, and we'll see if one life seems more meaningful than the other. So, let's start with the crossword addict. The crossword addict, no surprise, is addicted to crosswords. They buy a whole load of newspapers each day so that they can play the crossword section, and having been doing this for years, they've gotten pretty good at it. In fact, they're really good. They've won a whole load of crossword competitions, and they've got the trophies to prove it sitting proudly up on their mantelpiece. Now, unlike the adulterer and the basement dweller that we spoke about a moment ago, let's imagine that the crossword addict genuinely feels fulfilled in their life. For them, crosswords aren't just a fun pastime, they're the centrepiece of their life, they form such a large part of their identity, they're proud of being the crossword guy, the crossword king. They've invested a lot of time into their crossword prowess, and if they look back on their life they'll say, man, I'm really proud of what I did. Now let's compare the crossword addict with Bill Gates. Like the crossword addict, Bill Gates has invested a ton of time into the thing he's passionate about, computer software. And like the crossword addict, he got really good at it. As we know, he founded Microsoft and his software now runs on computers all across the world. And not only that, but he earned billions and billions of dollars in doing so, money that he's now been giving away through the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And he's been incredibly successful there too. His foundation's effort to combat polio, HIV and malaria have likely saved millions of lives in the developing world. Now, I, I can't speak for Bill Gates, but let's imagine for the sake of this thought experiment that he feels pretty satisfied with his life, just like the crossword addict does. Now, the question is, would it be fair to say that in virtue of both living lives that lead them to feel fulfilled, that the crossword addict and Bill Gates both live equally meaningful lives? Well, according to Wolf, no, that wouldn't be fair to say. There's a crucial difference between the crossword addict and Bill Gates, which is that while they both feel fulfilled, only Bill Gates has lived his life in a way that's truly worthwhile. Bill Gates has devoted his life to things that actually matter, that actually make a difference, particularly through his work in a developing world, whereas the crossword addict hasn't created anything or achieved anything that'll make any kind of difference beyond his own mantelpiece. And for Wolf, that's what the fulfilment view is missing. Yes, it's important to feel fulfilled, and you won't live a meaningful life unless you're able to find that feeling of satisfaction. But for a truly meaningful life, it's also important that you do something worthwhile. And this is the second feature that Wolf thinks we should build into our concept of meaningful lives. The idea of getting involved with something that's bigger than yourself, something that has objective value and actually matters something that's actually worthwhile. Now, Wolf is the first to admit that it's not easy to pin down which activities are worthwhile and which are worthless, which activities have objective value and which don't. And in fact, Wolf describes the task of providing a complete account of objective value as, in her words, an unsolved problem in philosophy, 
we don't have a definite set of criteria to determine which activities do and which don't have objective value. But even if we haven't solved the problem of objective value, we still seem to have a fairly decent idea about the sorts of activities that have objective value. For example, we know that Einstein's work was worthwhile, and we know that writing a great novel is something that has objective value. And on the flip side, we know that counting the tiles on the bathroom wall isn't an objectively valuable thing to be doing, and we know that scrolling through memes on Reddit isn't a worthwhile way of spending your time either, even if you might enjoy it. And it also seems that we can be wrong about the kinds of activities that have objective value. You can imagine Van Gogh might have mistakenly thought that his art was pointless as it went unappreciated throughout his life, but in fact it's turned out to be extremely valuable indeed. Or again on the flip side, you can imagine someone lying in bed, tripping on some heavy psychedelics, looking up and thinking that the vague patterns on their ceiling are just about the most incredible thing they've ever seen, when in actual fact there wasn't really any value to be found in their ceiling at all. All of this is to say that even if the notion of objective value is a bit of an elusive concept, and even if we won't all agree as to what activities are and aren't objectively valuable, at least according to Wolf, there is such a thing as objective value. And, as we've seen with the crossword addicts in Bill Gates' examples, engaging with objectively valuable projects is clearly an important part of living meaningfully. If you're not getting involved with anything outside of yourself, if you're not doing anything that actually matters, then no matter how satisfied you might feel, this seems to take away from the meaningfulness of your life. And it's that that makes Bill Gates' life meaningful, in the way that the crossword addict's life isn't. Of course, we still need the feeling of fulfilment that we spoke about earlier too. If you imagine a human rights lawyer who devotes their lives to helping the most vulnerable, if they hated their job, if they didn't care about the people they were helping, and if they didn't actually get any sense of satisfaction out of their work, then it seems like there'd be something missing from their life too. So it's when you take these two features together, the feeling of fulfilment and an involvement with genuinely worthwhile projects, the wolf thinks we find meaningfulness in our lives. Or, as Wolf herself puts it, to live a meaningful life is to be actively engaged in projects of worth. It's to immerse yourself in projects that are objectively valuable and to achieve a sense of fulfilment from doing so. So, this is what Wolf thinks that meaningful lives are and what it is that makes life meaningful. But to round off this episode, if we're searching for it, if we're investigating the meaning of life, why should we care about meaningfulness? Why is it that we should just forget about the meaning of life and, and focus on living meaningful lives instead? Well, to set the scene for what I think is the big take-home message from Wolf's book, let's think back to the last episode for a moment and remember how Nagel thinks about the absurd. You might remember that Nagel puts his own little spin on the concept of the absurd. So according to Nagel, the absurd arises when you take that backward step from your own life when you detach yourself from everything that you're all caught up in every day, and you look upon your life from this bird's-eye perspective. And for Nagel, when we take that step back, there's no final justification that we can provide for anything that we do. In a moment, our lives appear arbitrary, futile and absurd. For Nagel, it's in this moment that we see the absurd, in the contradiction between the seriousness with which we take our own lives, and the sense in which everything we do appears totally arbitrary. But having spoken about Wolf and her thoughts on meaningful lives, let's revisit Nagel's backward step in a new light. 
Imagine again that we take that step back from our lives, from our justifications of all that we do, and we see our lives from the point of view of eternity. Sure, like Nagel says, there's still no God-given reason for everything we do, nothing's changed there. There's no overarching purpose, and at least in that sense, there's still an element of arbitrariness in the way that we live our lives. But yet, something's changed. Wolf has given us something that we can cling to, something concrete that the backward step won't take away. We can still engage with things that have objective value. We can still do things that really matter. Even when we've taken that backward step, we can do things that aren't completely arbitrary. See, even if the likes of Nagel are right, even if we weren't born with a specific purpose, this says nothing against the concept of objective value, and it says nothing about the idea that we can still do things that matter, that are worthwhile, and that generate positive value. When we engage with philosophy, when we write a piece of music, when we make a kind gesture towards a stranger, and when we plan a nice surprise for a loved one, each of these things are objectively valuable. Even when we take the backward step, they're still worthwhile. And even if there's no such thing as the meaning of life, nothing can stop us from doing these kinds of things that have real value. And it's when we do those objectively valuable things, and when we get a sense of satisfaction from doing so, it's then that we experience meaningfulness in our lives. And at least for Wolf, maybe that's what really matters here. As we said earlier, at least for those of us who don't hold any religious beliefs, it's difficult to imagine how we could have a purpose or a meaning of life in the grand sense of the word without a god here to impose it on us. So, Wolf says, let's stop playing that game. Let's stop striving after that elusive sense of meaning that continues to evade us. Instead, let's focus on the concrete things that we can do, engaging with those things that fulfil us, doing those things that really matter, and live a life that's meaningful. Not just a life that feels meaningful, but a life that really is meaningful, in virtue of spending our time doing things that actually make a difference, that are actually valuable, even when we join Nagel in taking that backward step. So, that's all on Susan Wolf and how we can live meaningful lives in a world devoid of meaning. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to download the interview with Professor Sam Ricklist coming next month, where we'll be talking about his new course on the meaning of life and the philosophies of Camus, Nagel and Wolf. In the meantime, you can find some recommended further reading for each episode on www.searchingforit.org. You can pledge a small monthly contribution to help keep the show running on www.patreon.com forward slash searching for it. And other than that, thanks for listening and I'll see you in the new year. Thank you.